It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing, a weekly bashcast brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is Big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 130. Bill and Fred's excellent adventure. It is five minutes to five on Thursday the 24th of January 2019. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast, we look at the Australian Open. Compare how we're doing following Smart Money versus the tipsters out there. Smart Money comes in for Ibar and we review that evening and exactly what it is to take positive expected bets. I get into some beef with some people on social media and need to rein my neck in. So I'm using the Bashcast as a platform to get my thoughts out. After the break... We look at uh, the NFL coin toss in the Super Bowl. Some potential fishiness going on with an odds checker article over Gareth Southgate. We look forward to the Six Nations Championships as well as backwards towards the last William Hill horse race. All that and more coming up tonight on the Bashcast. Got an email from the SBR? S who? Oh, yeah, I should have put this up before uh, I started talking about it. The Smart Betting Club, I think it's called. Is it? I think so. No, I can't find it, so it doesn't matter. And the email says something along the lines of um, uh, the awards are out this year for the best betting podcast. And you're not going to believe it. That's right, we didn't get a nomination. Mostly because I wrote down in my notes a couple of weeks ago that we should go and um, all nominate the Bashcast in the best podcast section for the SPC. And despite writing it down on my notes, I write a lot of things down on my notes for the... Bashcast every week. I completely forgot to mention it. <laughs> so there you go. What were the best podcasts? I found the email now. So best betting website is the GGS. Actually, I have been looking for a website that provides um, decent data and information. So I might actually have to go and have a look at the GGS. But you never know with these things. It could just be insiders telling all of their members to go and bet on it. What thing that would be. Uh, silver was Wheel of Betting and Bronze was At the Races. This is for the best betting website. Um, for the best podcast, Matchbook was the best podcast with 48.47% of the vote. And I would agree with that. I subscribe to the Match Betting podcast. It's really good. Uh, the Final Furlong podcast, 22.4%. And then some um, 
smaller podcasts. So the business of betting, which is really good, inside betting, which is really good. Some I haven't listened to, which is the Racing Postcast and the Odds Checker podcast and the William Hill podcast. I have not listened to any of those. And um, other got two percent of the vote. And I know that the Bash Cast must be in there because uh, I, uh, Duncan went and voted for it. <laughs> we possibly would have got one of the votes. I don't know how many votes there were in this, but um, perhaps there were only 50 votes, and so Duncan's one counts for the 2%, and we were the entire other. You never know. So next year, though, I think, if I remember to next year, I will remind people that go, let's go and uh, bet for the Bash Cast for the best betting podcast. Wouldn't it be funny to see us up there? Also, they did the best bookmakers. So who who do you think is the best bookmaker and who do you think is the worst bookmaker out there? I was actually quite surprised. So the best bookmaker is Bet365. And I guess in terms of like value and everything like that, they're great. Until you accidentally back both sides of a game for two up because you had a few drinks the night before and you went on Switzerland and then you woke up the next day and you went on their opposition and then they just limit you and then then they're no longer the gold best bookmaker are they silver is betfair no documented my thoughts on betfair enough uh, and bronze is matchbook i don't know i mean like if i was to choose an exchange so i've got i have all i have i don't have betfair in my disposal and i'm glad even if I did, I'm done with them, even though they have the most amount of liquidity and the most volume of markets. But I've got at my disposal, I've got um, BetDAC and Ladbrokes, which is the same thing. And it's almost pointless. Um, Matchbook and Smarkets, which are the three other big players after Betfair. And to me, it's just like Smarkets wins hands down in terms of the the overall experience, the usability, the look of the whole thing. Just like, I just wish they had more markets and more liquidity. It's really bleeding annoying also that um, there are more layers than backers in there because it means that I'm generally taking, you know, I'm generally taking a worse price when I'm laying, but on the flip side of the coin, I'm taking a better price when I'm backing, and I'm doing a lot of backing, so maybe, maybe it's not the end of the world there. Um, and the worst bookmakers? Who do you think was the worst bookmakers in the entire world out there? Ladbrokes got number one, and apparently they've won number one for three years in a row. Number one worst bookmaker for three years in a row. How can somebody with such collateral and um, inv- and... You know, the numbers that they've got in management, how can they not realise how bad they are? But three years in a row, the mighty has fallen. Silver was Betfred. I know, I don't, I would not say that Betfred was the second worst bookmaker out there. Certainly, I wouldn't at all. If anything, I think I put Betfred in my top three. I think Fred Dunn is fair and lays a bet. I mean, maybe they're just talking about online. I don't know. And and I and again, the the thing about Betfred is there's so much value. It's easy to get caught. You've just got to play the game a little bit with them. And bronze is um, Paddy Power. Last year it was Ladbrokes first and Coral second. There you go. How about that? And uh, Stan James in bronze position. They had a few others in there as well uh, in terms of worst. So Coral did come fourth. A uh, Coral just winds me up. At least Coral, though, they have the sense that you can do that 
you can select a bet and you haven't if you haven't got a balance select your bet and say i want 50 quid in this bet when your balance is say 30 quid and it'll just pop up and say do you want to deposit 19 pounds and 50p because you've only got 30 pounds and 50p in there and it's like that's so convenient but also why doesn't everywhere else do that it's it's enough for me to go and choose i would bet somewhere else for slightly worse odds in the knowledge that it's easier for me to go on there and top up my balance then um boil sports is a fifth place i was just getting because they're just restricting everybody all the time william hill in sixth place and then you've got marathon bet and sporting bet it's been a while since i bet at both of them and the thing about marathon bet and sporting bet is there's they suffer from so much latency and they're so slow to cut their odds that they're so they're really really easy to arb and therefore if you are an arbor or even just taking best value or top value then you're going to stand out like a sore thumb and therefore get restricted i've always thought though the solution to this problem isn't just to restrict every single man and dog under the sun but the solution is to improve the latency of updating your odds you would think but you know who am i to tell sporting bet and marathon bet how to run their businesses and improve their overall retention of customers nobody so there you go that's the uh that's this yeah it is it's the smart betting club worst and best bookmakers of the year and worst and best podcasts betting podcasts of the year um maybe duncan forgot to vote and we got zero votes you never know so let's try and get two votes next year if we get two votes perhaps our name will appear in there because i don't know how many they get but that might be enough we uh we will see right where's my notes it's been one of those chaotic note days today by the way where i filled out a bunch of notes for the bashcast today and then Sasha decided that she was going to draw all over them. And now I'm going to just have to peer through the little pictures that she's made for the entire podcast. So there you go. Um, it's been a kerfuffle today, getting things organized. I've been um, trying to write the um, logic behind the horse racing model that we're going to have up on the site. Um so I'm a little bit late with the Bashcast today. It does make it interesting. It means that I'm going to have to be doing some live calculations on the Bashcast. It is, um, as mentioned, it's two minutes past five in the afternoon, which means we're in the 5 to 6 p.m. window for the William Hill in-shop boosts. Now, over Christmas, I imparted the advice that if... Um, if you see a 100% boost, you could probably back it blindly and show a profit because on average, the EV of each boost was between 70, 80, 90%, something like that. Um, well, unfortunately, something's happened in William Hill HQ and that no longer applies because these so-called great offers are absolutely shocking um let me just pull up let me just pull up sorry let me go back to basics so what's happening here is every single day william hill put up 
um, 24 great sports offers. And these are things such as teams A, B and C to win and they're over one goal in the match, um, over 130 goals in all the English leagues, um, uh, team to score in both half and more than three corners, something like that. You know, something that just traditionally is quite difficult to ob, which is why uh, they're doing it, because they're not just going to put up Manchester United to win, because all the arbors descend down William Hill and they see that it's a good price and then they bet on it. So they started doing these and we found some really insane value on them. We found um, um, a Sunday where there were two games and it was any two teams to win and all four teams to score. It was 15 to back and eight to would be a fair market price. And it just didn't come in thanks to Wolves goal. And also another one was um, over 45 goals in a certain league um, was three to back and a fair price would be 1.7. So we, we've got a model where we can work out based on the old 2.5 score and a range of other things what a fair price would be for a number of goals in a number of games. Um, and we've benchmarked this really well and we've got it quite accurate and comparing it against the spread sites and everything. So that's working. And um, taking them to task. Uh, unfortunately, as of recently, and I would say about the last two or three weeks, the whereas most things were decent, now m- almost everything is bad. And it, you kind of get the sense that perhaps somebody in higher management has said something in to the great sports offers team. And they've said, you know, you've really got to, rein it in a little bit but they've reined it in not just a little bit but a lot so here they said a couple of days ago Galatasaray Monaco Linfield and Bristol Rovers all to win and over one goal in each match so essentially they're saying all four teams to win and not one nil um and to do this you just take the so work in probabilities not in decimals so if you work in probabilities, it's easy. You just take the probability of a team winning in percent, subtract the 1-0 score in percent, and there you go. You've got your probability of the game. Take the reciprocal of that to go back into decimal odds. And I was working it out, but I noticed that even without the 1-0 component, it was just so hugely off at 13-2. So I tried something. I just went to William Hill website, and I added in Galatasaray, Monaco, Linfield, and Bristol Rovers just to see what William Hill would offer me for the multiple. And for the multiple, they would offer me a shade over 13-2. They offered me 6.56-1, whereas the the great, in inverted commas, sports offer was 6.5-1. I mean, how can they get away with that? It's it's like, it's so bad, and a lot of them are that bad, and there's 24 to go through, and I've been going through each one every day, um, and now I've been filtering away just ones that could be value, and the value is becoming thinner and thinner. But we'll keep monitoring them, because they do occasionally slip up. Um, on the weekend... Um, one of the interesting ones is where they let, allow you to bet past the starting time of a game and there's always edges to be had there. So on the weekend, they had over 130 goals across the weekend. And then, of course, just uh, to, for fun, you could bet up, up until 3 p.m. on the Saturday and then the lunchtime game on the Saturday is Wolverhampton Wanderers 4-3. So seven goals in the lunchtime game, which makes that a lot more appealing. And you could bet up to 3 p.m. Um, and they did cut it just before three, but you could still get the three to one price on it for ages and ages until they like slashed it to seven to four. 
So it's just a case of being on it. And, you know, every time we calculate it, we put it up on the boost tracker, so it's available to everyone that has access to that. By the way, the number of times they put an over goals model uh, lineup and they get it like spot on, even though they're paying out four to four, one, five to one, eight to one, nine to one, and they'll say over 130 goals, which means 131 or more, and they'll be exactly 130. It's just crazy. <laughs> it really is. It's really frustrating. Anyway, so they're mostly rubbish unless we can get on early on the over goals. Um, but two times a day, they boost their great sports offers. At lunchtime, they boost the racing ones, which are pretty hard to work out. You sort of need to compare against the spread sites for those. And that's 12 to 1 p.m. And they've got this wheel, and they'll boost it by 50% or 75% or 100%. Today, actually, they boosted something by 100%, but then they got the calculation wrong, and they boosted it way over 100%, but it was only there for a couple of minutes. It's like they boosted evens to like 4 to 1 by accident. I think they're boosting the fraction there. So boosting even should be from 1 to 1 to 2 to 1, basically. So it's like from 2.0 in decimal to 3.0. That's the 100% boost, and they boosted it up to 4.0. Then at 5 to 6 p.m., they boost um, the football ones. And it's now 10 minutes past 5, and so we've got to do this live as we talk in the Bashcast. Now, um, the, just before then, they did have a was this price is this price never trust the was price they had a goal in each half in tonight's french and spanish cup matches at 12 at uh was 10 to 1 now 12 to 1 two ways of working this out right so there are five matches in the the french and spanish cups tonight now i'm going to do this live just to walk through you exactly what i'm doing maybe it's interesting and maybe you can do it yourself and maybe it's really boring and this can be the worst bashcast ever so I'm going to go to coupons in odds checker. I'm going to benchmark it against the top price. I don't think I'm going to find a price for it, but I might do, right? And I've got two different ways of doing this. So this is the first one, Coupe de France. There we go. The first one is Bastia versus Noisy Le Grand. Um, an A problem that we have is that we've already had kickoff, which is really frustrating. So let's go to Lyon versus Amiens. And here, if we scroll down to score betting, we will see uh, both teams to score. Both teams to score in the first half. I want a goal in both halves. To score in both halves. Goal in both halves. There, there you go. Goal in both halves is 1.73 best price at Bet Victor. Now there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 bookmakers priced up. It's a fairly competitive market. So I would only add 2% markup to 1.73. So if you take 1.73, add on 2% market markup, you get 1.76. So that's one way of doing it. Now, one thing I've got to make sure I'm aware of in this game is how likely the there are the expected goals basically because if there are a lot of expected goals in this game then it's going to slightly um, deviate the answer and over 2.5 is 1.84 and that's slightly on the high side um as in that's slightly on the goals are quite likely side so that 1.76 that we worked out we were being probably a little bit optimistic there um, but even being optimistic, if you take that 1.76, and there are five matches in the French Cup, to take it to the power of five, 
you get odds of 16 to 1. So on best price, if you did like a best price accumulator across all the bookmakers, you'd get 16 to 1. And the great sport offer at William Hill is 12 to 1. I actually think it's even worse than that. Another way of doing it is I've got a spreadsheet here with um, 12,984 games in Europe. I've filtered um, games within a range that are roughly the same range as the five matches tonight in terms of goals expectancy. And then I've just said, how many games had a goal both in the first half and the second half? And the answer was 6,926. So using a heuristic analysis, we're looking at odds of 1.875 a game. Now, when we looked at top price, we were getting 1.76 on a, on a game with you know, quite high odds expectancy. So I can see that 1.875 being quite a good rule of thumb just to use on every single match that you look at. And 1.875 across five matches is 1.875 times 1.875 times 1.875 times 1.875 times 1.875 equals 23.1. I think that's a lot closer to probably what a fair price would be for a goal in each half of tonight's French and Spanish Cup matches. So the fact that William Hill are offering 12 to 1 in there is pretty bad. Pretty bad. So the very first one was a 100% boost, not one that I can work out. It was both teams to take a corner in all four corners of the pitch. I don't know. That's Chelsea Tottenham from 10 to 1 to 20 to 1. I suspect 20 to 1 isn't good, but I don't know. I honestly, I've just put my hands up. I don't have the data for that. And not only do I not have the data for that, but I don't have, um, there's no one priced up on odds checker. Obviously, there's no exchange market for that. So that's rubbish as well. The next one has just come in and I've only just seen it. So let's go through the thought process here. Ajax and Real Madrid both delete at 20 minutes was 5 to 1. 40% boost is 7 to 1. The first thing that concerns me is it's only a 40% boost, but okay. The second thing that concerns me is it's both delete at 20 minutes. If I go to Ajax on the exchange, there'll be various markets there, but none of them will be who is leading at 20 minutes. Um, even if I went to a British match, Chelsea versus Liverpool, they do, uh, Tottenham, sorry, which is the League Cup tonight. They do have time of first goal, but not, you know, to be leading at 20 minutes, so it doesn't help at all. Now, if I go to odds checker, uh, change market to Ajax. The markets they've got for to be leading at are multiples of 15. So it's Ajax versus... Is it Feyenoord? They're playing... Who are they playing tonight? Ajax. Ajax. They're playing Harinvin in the Dutch Cup. It's the Dutch Cup right across Europe. So if I change that um, to view all markets and scroll down, I'll see they've got leading after 15, 30, 60, and 75 minutes, but they don't have leading after 20. So it's really, really difficult to work out what the odds are. If I go for a f from 15, which would be pessimistic, you know if it's good at 15, it's going to be good at 20. They've got odds of 3.1 for Ajax. But the the... The uncertainty that we're in just now, because if this is going to be plus EV, it's going to be thin. The uncertainty that we're in um, using 20-minute markets instead of 15-minute mar uh, minute markets is too big. So with this one, I just shrug my shoulders and say, I don't know. Um, but going off what the average EV is in these things, it's not going to be good. So back to looking at what they're doing, it doesn't mean that they're all terrible. The ones that tend to be good are the ones that 
capture a steamer. Well, there's various different ways of manipulating them, but if there's a steamer leading up to the game, they've got these ones that are like Ajax, Galatasaray, Real Madrid, all to win and over one goal or over two goals in each game. Now, if one of those teams steams in loads, they still don't change the price. And that means that it can simply become plus EV because of the steaming. Like yesterday, Man City went from 1.2 to 1.1. There we've got to be sort of available to be in shop at the time of the steam. I think yesterday there was some confusion over how strong the City uh, squad was going to be. And then they fielded like Aguero, De Bruyne, um, Jesus. It's like, wow, if you're Burton, you're 9-0 down. Can you believe it? believe that they've done that and so City started at 1.1 when it was thought that they were just going to be fielding kids they went out to 1.2 and then came back into 1.1 my confidant who laid 10 grand um, at 1.1 wasn't too happy who sorry laid um, uh, 10 grand at 1.2 wasn't too happy when they bounced back into 1.1 but what are you going to do that's the game that you're playing um that was an example of when it can become plus EV. It can also become plus EV because for some reason they just get the over goals wrong, and I'm ha- and I'm quite happy with that. They do correct them when they get them wrong, which means that when we calculate it and you see it, don't waste any time. If you can get down, you can get someone down to William Hill. That needs to be the play. But other than that, mainly it's just um, focusing on these boosts. If you can get down from twelve to one, or get someone down in twelve to one. And also from five to six, and some of them are, some of them are definitely worth doing. The horse racing ones are slightly confusing, but um, the 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 spread betting sites are definitely the sort of way to work out whether you're getting value in the distances and the favourite performance at the two of those. So favourite performance is five points for third if you're a favourite, ten points for second. 25 points for first and they say add up all of the favorite performances over the day and does it is it going to come to more or less than a predefined number of points for the odds that they're offering you know what that's that's not the hardest thing in the entire world to model and we're going to put together a model and stick that up on the website at some point anyway the next one's due in a couple of minutes but whilst that um that's on its way a lot of fun with the Australian Open in the last couple of days. If you follow any of the tipster sites, I would actually like to know if anybody is making any money from any tipsters on the Aussie Open. So I've got various different ways of making money, and one of the things that I do is follow tipsters. And um, this men, this men's and women's Australian Open is probably the, one of the worst tournaments that I've seen um, because there's just a lot of... Especially in the women's tournament... There's a lot of unexpected results and performances coming through. You know, people like you know, squeezing through the first set, seven, six, and then losing the second set, six, love. Yeah. One of the things that is doing particularly well is um, just <laughs> following following boosts, especially when smart money is applied to it. I mean, when are you ever going to bet on um, Stefanos Tsitsipas? Is that how you pronounce his name? This new Greek kid um, to win the set betting at three to one, unless it comes in to 5.5 uh, Betfair Sportsbook boost and 5.1 on the exchange. I mean, I'm never going to have a reason to think that City Pass is going to be valued to win that game 3-1 in the quarterfinals, but he did. That one came in. Today at Skybet, they had Djokovic to win the first set 
either 6162 or 605 to 1. Again, you stick that up in the tracker. Things like first set and set betting do require a little bit of patience and liquidity to come in, which is hard work for the Australian Open when a lot of games are 1 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning. What I'm doing a lot of the time is I'm heading out to CrossFit, getting the early morning class done, and then getting back for like the 8.30 game. So I was just back in time to see that Djokovic bet come in this afternoon. And there was a couple of others, as um, Nadal was in the semi-final against Stefanos Tsitsipas. And by the way, for the boost tracker, I am learning very quickly the first names of all of these um um, tennis players that I've only vaguely been aware of before because this young Greek kid is um, just rising in terms of his fame but to load these trebles onto the tracker you need to know how Betfair start their name and with Serena Williams it could be Williams although it's unlikely because of her sister it could be S space Williams where you need S space W or it could be S-E-R for Serena and you've got to sort of try each one until you can figure out what how Betfair have um, spelt it. And so for there, you need to know that Tsitsipas is Stefanos Tsitsipas. And you need to know that Pavlyuchenko is Anastasia Pavlyuchenko. But now I think I'm ready for a tennis pub quiz just because of repeatedly sort of getting used to putting all of these names into the tracker. Anyway, um, Nadal to win the Aussie Open without losing a set. That was always... Um, I've been burnt too many times taking that bet in the first round, but now I wish I'd taken it for the Aussie Open because he hasn't lost a set all the way through to the final. And just before the final, just before his semi-final, he was 8-1 to one with decent limits at Skybet. And um, a fair market price would have been about... Well, under 6, but I just shoved it up at 6 as kind of a worst-case scenario because you're still getting like 50%, 150% EV on that. And he went through 3-0 today, which is decent. And also um, 50, um, uh, sorry, Nadal to win outright against Federer was 2-1. to one. Essentially getting 2-1 to one on Nadal to win the Aussie Open. Because if we pick up Djokovic, sorry, did I say Federer? I meant Djokovic. If we pick up Djokovic versus Puyol, Djokovic is like 1.08. So he should win that game I say should um he will actually if you look at it somebody did a analysis of betting underdogs in grand slams well it's a bit of a strange analysis I mean it shows two lines one line betting on favorites with an ROI in grand slams of 0.9% positive 0.9% over 4506 bets and the ROI on the dogs is minus 16.1% but he has used even stakings for both of them which is kind of nonsense like why would you bet the same at 10 to 1 as you would at 1.01 that is a surefire way to both the bad house the mad house and the poor house um it's interesting he's done it there. We've got our hands on a lot of um, tennis data. And so I might do the same analysis as this guy has done and see if I get the same results. I can't believe that the um, that the long shot, the favorite long shot bias is that pronounced, where it's like minus 16% compared to plus 9%. The, the favorite long shot bias is that favorites tend to be overvalued sorry undervalued and long shots tend to be overvalued so what i mean by that is that something you're betting on at 16 to 1 is probably a real realistic price is a lot higher than 16 to 1 and yet again if you're betting at 1 to 5 it's the other way around perhaps um 
um, that is undervalued at one to five. And that's mainly because bettors overbet long shots and bookmakers shorten those prices in excess as they know that bettors demand um, the, the amount of money that they're going to bet at lower prices is significantly less. What I mean by that is it's a lot easier to bet £100 at 20 to 1 um, than it is to bet £1,000 at 2 to 1, even though you're sort of getting the same return. And if you're doing bankroll management with Kelly that's and it's the same EV on both bets, then those are the stakings that you should be doing. So... Yeah, I mean it's an interesting article. The um, if you want to, it's the the Picio blog, P Y C K I O blog. But I think instead of just trusting this, I might just uh, put a little note down to do my own my own analysis. So anyway, it, it's one of those strange um, tournaments that if I'm comparing the value that I'm getting out of bookie bashing and following smart money and seeing where boosts are available and also especially where they're available and money has driven down the price on the exchanges and various markets as liquidity has come in against what the tipsters, the professional tennis betting tipsters have been saying, then this is one tournament where bookie bashing has been um, wiping the floor with the tipsters. I'm just blinking over the clock because it's 5.30. So I'm sort of tentatively waiting for the next um, William Hill shot bet, which should be through any second now. Well, whilst we're waiting for that, let's have a look what happened in the football in the last week. And this was all about Tuesday night, I think. Or was it Monday night? It was all about Monday night. And just as I say that, here we go. So it is Thursday night. Chelsea versus Tottenham is this evening. Often 19 has gone from 6-1, to one, a 50% boost takes it to 9-1, to one, and it is both teams to score in the first half, both teams to take over one corner each in the first half. Now, I can work out both teams to score in the first half. That's relatively easy. So here's my thought process for this. Chelsea are expecting 3.25 corners in the first half if you look at the spread betting sites. So to have more than one corner in the first half, uh, 1.7 seems about fair. That's probably quite optimistic. But I'm happy to be optimistic. So if we're optimistic and we're still bad, then we know it's bad. So let's say 1.7. So 1.7 for the two of them would be about 3.4. I'm going to say it's 3.4 for there to be more than three corners in the first half. And uh, the BTTS in first half, I can just nick that from the exchange. It's really competitive market. Every bookmaker has it priced up. Top price is 5.5. I could add on 2% to that 5.5, but let's remain massively optimistic and say that Bet365 and Ladbrokes are applying no markup to that price. Take our 5.5, multiply that by... Um, the 3.4 for the corners. Now, they are interlinked, but all we have to do is get close, and then we think about shaping the odds even more if this is close. But 3.4 for the corners multiplied by 5.5 for both teams to score in the first half takes us to 18.7. It's nowhere near the 9-1 to that this offer has been boosted to. And I'm not going to spend time trying to work out what the exclusivity arrangements are between corners and goals or trying to shape this a little bit further and adding markup because um, we're not going to get close. 
So again, it's just sort of proof proof needed that like a month ago these prices would have been so much better. Um, where one edge or one ability to make money very easily closes, we always seem to find another one. You know, a year ago we weren't even going through these offers every day, and then we were when they were amazing. Um, and now we're not again because well we're look we're going through them we're just not finding as much as we were but so be it. So Monday night was very interesting. It was all about well it was Ibar versus Espanol in the Spanish La Liga. Not the most interesting game I ever heard in my entire life. But for whatever reason, and this is again the beauty of the tracker. Ibar steamed about an hour before the off. There must have been some news of an injured player to Espanyol or whatever. I, d- I never actually found out what the reason was. I don't need to know. I just need to know that smart money is smashing it in. And because Ibar w- were coming in, that meant that all the trebles with Ibar were becoming really good. Like, really good. Uh, Juventus, West Brom and Ibar was 4.33 at bet safe. 3.7 would have been a fair market price. That same treble, 4.5 at 10 bet. 3.7 would have been uh, at 10 bet. Um, And then you've got things like Ibar to win and by two or more goals, which is sort of looking at the minus 1.5 Asian handicap market. That was 4.5 to back at William Hill. It was into 4.1. It had steamed in. The Asian handicap market, it steams in at the same time that the match odds market. And then there was Ibar to win in three or more goals in the game, which was a special at Fred. 3.75 to back, 3.5 to win. So if you're like thinking, I think uh, this smart money is onto something with Ibar. And so I'm going to bet on all of those things. Ibar to win by three or more goals. Ibar to win by um, minus 1.5 Asian handicap. And then you can add in more. I went on to Sky and I was like, what's the best treble that you can offer me with um, Ibar? And it wasn't positive EV. It was like Juventus, Ibar, West Brom was four to back and 3.9 would have been a fair market price. But then by the time I got to Sky, it was 3.75. So now I've got to make a decision. Do I leave that at 3.75 to back or 3.9 to lay? Or do I take it? Well, you could, a lot of people would say, why would you take it? You fool. It's 3.75 to back. It's 3.9 on the exchanges to lay. That makes it a negative EV bet. Well, I argue no. I don't necessarily think it is. In fact, if you plot all of the expected value of the last two and a half thousand bets that we've placed against the profit that we've made, we are seriously above EV consistently all the way along. And we're now running at about twice EV. So what's going on there? And that's not just with the boosts on the tracker. That's also with the coupons as well. If you measure, if you measure our uh, what we our equity, what we should be making, what we think we'll be making against what the exchanges, the static lay price suggests, then we're running hot. But listen to me: over two and a half thousand bets on the boosts tracker, and one and a half thousand bets on the exchanges. The p value, the likelihood that we're running this hot is in the region of seven standard deviations. What's seven standard deviations? It's about the same as winning the national lottery with one single ticket a week, three weeks in a row, possibly four weeks in a row. 
So you say, well, I can't believe how lucky you've been. Well, no, we're not being that lucky. What we're doing is we're underestimating expected value. So why are we underestimating expected value? Because we're measuring against a static lay price. And I think that's wrong. I think that the delta change where money is coming in our direction is more important. And so now I think, well, it's 3.75 to back at Sky. It's 3.9. I'm going to take a chance that I still think it's good. Obviously, at some point, it's going to be bad. If it was 1 to 100, it can't be good. You know, maybe it's bad at 5 to 2. And now there's a very, it's a very subjective analysis. But I'm absolutely sure that some of these bets that are like 95% EV, they're still good. Not all of them will be, but a lot of them will be. And this is the margin of error that we've got between our actual profit line and our EV line. I mean, at the beginning, I definitely thought that we were just being, we were being lucky. Well, at the very beginning, like the first 300 bets, that was too small a sample size to actually judge success on. And we were um, running not just under EV, but we had negative profit. But that's why anyone that looks at their succession of bets, if you're looking at a sample size of less than 1,000, then I'm not interested. You know, anyone that says, um, well, for starters, people that say stuff are just... I need to stop posting on social media. I've had three different run-ins with people in the last week. Right? There was someone on... Someone loves the... the, the, Why did the phrase, it's just gambling, become so popular and so negative? I don't know. Because people just say to you, they look at what you're doing, and then, oh, it's just gambling. Oh, okay, fine. I've made a career out of being lucky. Because that's what you're saying when you say, it's just gambling. You're saying, you're being lucky. But they're also saying I'm being lucky on over 4,000 individual bets in the last couple of years. So have you worked out the standard deviation on how lucky I would need to be to be making profit over a sample size that big? Now, if you're moaning that things don't work and you've only had um, 20 or 30 bets, then you're simply at the mercy of variance. And sadly, it's even 300 bets. So if you're placing three bets a day, you could be going 100 days and reasonably not be in profit. In fact, I've had multiple periods where I've had a series of 300 bets and not been in profit. But a lot of people say it's just gambling when even when statistically you must be doing something that is relevant and then there was another advert on facebook so it was for some tool or other it was like come along you can have a look at our databases and get an edge against the bookmakers now i have no idea if it works or it doesn't work but good on this company for trying something different i looked at the comments section and this is something that i need to stop doing i need to both stop looking at the comments section and interacting with these people and about the first eight people all said why didn't you why not just do matched betting because that's where the real profit is. And so how widespread is match betting's reach now that like the first eight comments are all different people and all saying this. And these people are just trying to launch a tool to, you know, assist with the mass populace of betting. And everyone's like, no, you've got to do match betting. And it's sort of like a little bit like grated on me. So I commented on one of the guys and I just sort of, I was trolling a little bit, but I said, um, 
isn't much betting responsible for the demise of value in the bookmaking industry because you've got this um, huge subset of students and mums net people and um, they have simply removed through arbitrage and bonus hunting and multi-accounting, they've removed money from the gambling industry and provided nothing, nada, not a single thing back. And surely that means that they're a plague and some sort of cancer. And this guy says, well, you can't make any money, eh? Otherwise, in the book, you know, the bookies are really bad and the bookies are terrible. I said, well, there is ways of making money if you, you sort of do value betting. And in capitals, he responded, the only, capital O, capital N, capital L, capital Y, the only way to make money from bookmakers is match betting, match betting in capital letters. And he screamed. It's like, look, I don't confess to knowing everything. No one... No one does. In fact, it's really important to know what I don't know, and I don't know a lot, if that makes sense. So there are people out there that make a lot of money trading horses, trading tennis, and I am by no means an expert in either. I certainly give my hand to them, but I'm not I'm not an expert in either tennis, tra- tennis trading or horse trading. There's a lot of people that I've learned from, learned some NFL skills, some edges and things like that, so I've adapted them. And I use them myself, but I would never, ever assume that I know everything. And it's very dangerous assuming that you know everything. And so this kind of, it's just gambling, or the only way to make money is match betting and free bets. If you assume that that's your world, that's the universe, and you know the absolute and total truth, then you're completely limiting your ability to make any money. It's really important to know what your limitations are. Like in, in poker... By no means was I even a, a really good poker player, but I knew I learned a few skills. So I knew, for example, in home Omaha High Low, walking out of the door with just an ace and a deuce is overplayed by a lot of people. You really need an ace, a deuce, and another wheel card so that you can protect yourself against being counterfeited by an ace or a deuce um, somewhere in the five-card flop, right? It, it, it's and loads of people who think they play Omaha eight or better incorrectly overplay Ace Deuce, but they think that they know everything, and they'll argue until the cows come home. I remember my um an ex girlfriend of one of my friends called Stacy. She thought she knew everything about everything, and so I was um I, I was quite deep into poker theory books. And she'd come around for dinner. And she said, um, oh, you play poker? I play poker as well. And I said, oh, okay, have you got any um, good theory books? And she looked really confused at me and said, you don't need theory books for poker. You can either play it or you can't play it. And it, and it was very matter-of-fact, that response. It was like, you either play poker or you don't play poker, but don't. there's no theory to poker. And that was a mindset that she was very much stuck in. I said, okay, fine. But she never made any money out of playing poker. It's the same with um, anyone that is, is stuck in that mindset. If you think you know everything and that your world is complete, then you're limited in how much money you can make. And uh, very early on, I know that I don't know a lot. I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of different people who have got a lot of different knowledge. And that's important. One way of getting through life is surrounding yourself with the correct people that you want to surround yourself with. You know, get rid of those people that are useless don't literally get rid of them unless you need to um and surround yourself with people that you see a lot of potential in and um 
there's a few people around me that definitely, definitely have assisted me in the way that I think and um, I learn from them all the time. And it's that kind of mindset that is really important. So I'm sort of going off on one, but these people I've been interacting with on social media all fall into the same category of thinking that they know everything when they know, in fact, very little. A little bit of information is a very, very dangerous thing. As someone that, you know, makes money from bookmakers without matched betting... It was fascinating that he's shouting at me like this. I have this friend, Neil. He is a medical doctor. He's a a researcher. He's not someone that stitches people up. He sits and writes medical articles. But he, he got himself into like an argument with someone on Facebook recently. It was over vaccines. And you've got a bunch of people who are very anti-vaccine and say that they cause autism. And then you've got a lot of people who are very pro-vaccine and say that the anti-vaccinators are idiots. And as a medical research uh, author, and quite a proficient one, I think he sat and had an argument that there, if you actually look at it in black and white, believe it or not, there are valid arguments on both sides. But the one thing that definitely doesn't help is mudslinging and protectionism, with one side saying, I'm definitely right and you're completely wrong, and the other side saying, I'm definitely right and completely wrong. But the thing is, Neil has earned the platform from which he can say this he he's an authority on it because he's got 15 20 years experience at a very high level of medical research and authorship and it's the same as when i saw the bird flu they had a professor of virology or immunology on the television and they had a split screen with him who's got 30 years experience of research in the field and a woman who's a young mother in her early 20s who they didn't explain what her background was, but they introduced her as the mother of um, some young babies. And you could you could just assume, just by her age and the way she came across, that she didn't have the same level of experience as the professor. And they said to the professor, what do you think about bird flu? And he said, not a problem. And then they went to the woman and she said, I'm definitely taking my babies out of nursery and I'm hibernating away because we're all going to die from bird flu. And it's like, well, why are you giving... Mr. Pro- the, the professor guy and her equal time on the TV. The same with my friend Neil. Why are you engaging in argument with people when they don't know what your background is or who you are and they think they're on an equal platform with you, mate? And it's so uneven that you shouldn't really even engage with them. And the same, because I do this for a living and I know that I'm capable of doing it, I thought I was an authority point and I'm able to say this. And the entire response I get back is either it's just gambling or the only way to make money is match betting and free bets. And if that's the kind of level of ignorance that we're dealing with, then that's fine. But the important thing for me is that all I need to do is look at our result sheets that we've got and just remember that we're so far ahead of EV that we just can't see to calm down, to step back, to enjoy my whiskey, and not to argue with them, because we're so far ahead of Evie. You are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by Bucky Bashing. I'm looking at our records on this Excel spreadsheet We're so far ahead of Evie It's 
been like this since Maidenhead thrashed Deb's fleet. We're so far ahead of Evie. We're so far ahead of Evie. So far I just can't see. We're so far ahead of Evie. We're so far ahead of Tired being positive, I'm having a mo. We're so far ahead of Evie. I'm tired talking to Banksy on the telephone. We're so far ahead of Evie. We're so far ahead of Evie. So far I just can't see. We're so far ahead of Evie. So far ahead of
and welcome back to the Bashcast. It's the greatest band that was ever lived ever. Dire Straits with their fifth studio album, Brothers in Arms. So far away from me is the opening track from that album. And if you haven't listened to the album in a little bit of time, find 55 minutes and 7 seconds sometime in the next couple of days and just go and put it on from beginning to end. from All the way from so far away from me to Brothers in Arms, which is the last track. Because every one of them, especially your latest trick when it kicks in, you're like, that is the best intro to a song ever in the history of the world. In the bookie bashing news. NFL comes to the end of the season. Both the AFC and NFC championships wrapped up on the weekend with both games going to overtime. Have some of that. It's about 8-1 to one, a game going to overtime. Both of them did it. 64-1 to one double if you bet on it. No one bet on it, of course. Um... Rams beat the Saints. That was a bit of a surprise. And I'm quite I'm glad that the Rams are in the Super Bowl. 26-23 in overtime. Patriots beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm less happy about that. So Todd Gurley makes it. But Patrick Mahomes doesn't. And Brady and Gonkowski are there again. But they've been there so many times they don't need to go there again. So... Patriots are small favourites against the Rams, but just because I'm bored of the Patriots, I'm going to be supporting the Rams in the NFL. I arrive back from skiing on the same day, and then it's going to be in the middle of the night. So here's exactly what's going to happen in the NFL for me. I'm going to um, I'm going to get home from skiing. I'm going to stay up for it. Uh, it th- there's going to be a lead-up that goes on for about two and a half hours, way too long. And then it's going to kick off and I'm going to fall asleep probably the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter. And then I'm going to wake up sometime towards the end of the fourth quarter because that's what happens every single year. But I'm looking forward to the props coming out because that's the most fun of betting throughout the entire year is the prop bets for NFL because they're stupid. BetSafe were quite good at them, but then I got restricted at BetSafe. So I don't know how much I can get on the NFL props because you can never get million pounds on any of them. Um, Super Bowl coin toss is one of the weirder is one of the weirder props that they have and everyone likes to bet on the Super Bowl coin toss and I think I've bet on it for 10 years in a row it's one of the most high profile betting events of the year the coin toss for the NFL it might be entirely random but it is complete. it's misunderstood So the coin toss has assumed such importance that a speciality minted coin is used with both teams appearing on the tail side and the venue and year on the head side. It's suggested that because the coin used is made for the specific occasion, there is a chance that this coin is biased, which is super fun for conspiracy theorists But of course, nonsense. Hence why the Super Bowl coin toss odds are always the same and always equal. 
and you just look at this and so it would be even money in a bookmaker that has no margin every bookmaker has margin unless it's an exchange and so you'll see that the margin is the implied cost of placing a bet set by the bookmaker some bookmakers maybe 1.97 see red zone really decent markup at 1.95 charlatans go 1.91 and then you'll see some bookmakers go 1.85 and 1.83. And once you're sub 1.8, 1.8, you need to be running away from whichever whichever bookmaker that you are betting with. But this perceived bias could be why on the exchanges you don't see exactly even money on either side. And people say, well, why is that? Well, listen, the Super Bowl coin toss has been so significant that since 1978, a nominated celebrity has flipped it. This is added to the spectacle of the coin toss. It doesn't always go smoothly. In 2012, Curtis Martin, an inductee to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was set to flip the coin, but ended up as a spectator to referee John Parry, who mistakenly took the honours. The ceremony of the Super Bowl coin toss takes place approximately three minutes before the start of the game. The NFC is designated as the home team, for every odd-numbered Super Bowl. So in 2019, this is Super Bowl 53, the NFC champions will be the home side. That is the LA Rams. This designation allows the Rams to choose which colour jerseys to wear. This year, they've chosen their blue and yellow uniform with the Patriots in white. And by the way, 12 of the last 14 Super Bowl winners have worn white. And because the Rams get to choose the uniform, the AFC champions, New England Patriots, get to call the coin. Something that won't actually affect the Super Bowl coin toss odds. Now, after the visitors choose heads or tails, the referee confirms the call mid-toss. This ensures there's no mistaking what was said. A rule change resulting from the 1998 Thanksgiving Day game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Detroit Lions. On that occasion, referee Phil Luckett heard Steelers running back Jerome Bettis call heads, whilst Bettis swears that he said tails. When the coin landed tails side up, Luckett awarded possession to the Lions, who went on to win the game, something that changed the coin toss rules forever. So the team that wins the Super Bowl coin toss has the option of choosing to receive the ball or to select which side they wish to start the big game. Given that ends provide little or no advantage, the standard choice is to receive. Only four times in 52 Super Bowls has a team chosen to kick rather than receive. The standard logic is that starting the game on an off offensive drive is preferable with the chance of an early confidence-boosting score. An especially defensive team could kick, feeling confident enough to shut out the opponent's early drive and start the second half with the ball. But is winning the flip significant? In 52 Super Bowls, the winner of the coin toss has gone on to lift the Vince Lombardi Trophy 24 times. They've lost 28 times. That's 46% of the winners have won the Super Bowl, and 54% have lost. People may argue that, based on these figures, that the Super Bowl coin toss has some influence on the outcome of the game. Even with a far greater sample size, though, you would still struggle to justify such a statement. 
There is nothing wrong with indulging with fun bets like the Super Bowl coin toss betting so long as you are clear that it is entirely random and provides poor value and that you keep these principles in mind if you intend to bet for profit. One of the reasons that the Super Bowl coin toss has captured better's imagination is that from 1998 to 2011, the NFC recorded 14 consecutive wins. That is 2 to the power of 14, or 16,000 to 1. This, along with the NFC's 67.3% win rate in the Super Bowl coin toss, that's 35 out of 52, gave rise to a familiar misconception about random events such as a coin toss. People began to believe that it wasn't actually random. Many bettors failed to see that as the coin has no memory, each flip is totally independent and a streak over 52 coin tosses isn't statistically significant. This can be explained by the law of large numbers. A lack of understanding surrounding probability has given rise to the aforementioned speculation of the coins being biased due to the fact that they are especially made for the occasion. Now, putting the fun element to one side on its own, the Super Bowl coin toss is a bad bet. The odds are 50-50 and therefore should be priced at even money on either side with a zero edge of margin. And because you won't find a bookmaker offering this, you'll know you'll get a bad bet. Even at 1.97, 1.97, with a margin just over 1%, you're still going to lose, well, 1% every time you place a bet. But taking all of that into account, the NFC have won the coin toss 67% of the time. Heads have come up 54% of the time. And... The Super Bowl loser has chosen heads 54% of the time. So whether we can use that gambler's fallacy to create an edge against the exchange, we will see. Are there any edges anywhere? Uh, right, so this was an article that was written um, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, um, 13th of January 2019. Uh, and the article title was Southgate, You're the One, Gareth Hugely Backed for the Manchester United Job. So, odds checker here claim that the three Lions boss is overnight from 40 to 1 to 7 to 1. Gareth Southgate has repaired his reputation with his role as England manager and it could lead him all the way to the Old Trafford dugout. Multiple reports have stated that Manchester United are considering a move for the England manager and his odds have plummeted to just 7 to 1. He is Best price of 10 to 1 at Skybet to be in charge for the first day of the season. Well, isn't that incredible? And also, on the same day, you may be wondering, who are these multiple sources claiming that um, England boss Gareth Southgate is under consideration to be the next permanent manager of Manchester United? Well, here's one from the same day. 
um, breaking news from Sky Sports News. England boss Gareth Southgate is under consideration to be the next permanent manager of Manchester United. So odds checker are claiming that multiple sources, including Sky Sports News, are claiming that Gareth Southgate is under consideration to be the next Manchester United manager. And odds checker also claim that Sky better top price at 10 to 1. Uh, and so there we have the sort of weird mirroring of reality that Sky Sports News are the company that are sourcing the information that Gareth Southgate is going to be the next manager and also Skybet are standout top price. So that would be weird on its own if it were not for the fact that Skybet's portfolio includes brands such as Sky Vegas, Sky Casino, Sky Bingo, as well as the odds comparison site Odds Checker. Are you serious? So you're telling me that a odds comparison site that is owned by a betting company is reporting that its own umbrella company news service is reporting a story and you can get odds on that story occurring at best price at the parent company of the odds comparison site. That's not good. That triangle of information is not good at all. I don't think Odds Checker should be reporting on things when the top price is Skybet and also Sky News is one of the sources of the information. Because really, they could say anything. Sky News could come out with any story whatsoever. They could say that I am in line to be the next Bond. And then they could have a little word with their betting department and they could reduce my odds. But because there's been a news leak about it, the rest of the bookmakers reduce their odds and then the betting company bumps me up to top price and all we have to do is write an article and all of the punters turn around and go, whoa, Tom's going to be Bond. I mean, you know, not surprising, something we suspected for a long time, about time and good news for humanity. But also, now that I'm on the inside with this info, now that I've got this precious bit of info that literally nobody knows about unless they are reading this odds comparison website news article or happen to subscribe to the largest media news organization in the country, I've got this exclusive tit bit, and so I'm going to go and bet on them at Skybet and Skybet rake in the money and then, well, let's have a look at the market today. And bear in mind, it's only two weeks later. The favourite for the job is Oli Gunasolskjaer. 6-4. I do have some money actually on him from ages ago. Um, Mauricio Pochettino, who is always in line for these things, is 9-4. Coral Ladbrokes. And then Zinedine Zidane. Zinedine Zidane is third favourite. I didn't know that. Allegri is up there. Simeone is up there. Gareth Southgate is languishing down now at 20s. 
So what was this huge news article all about? This this rumoured sources. Let's have a look what the England manager has to say. And this is an article now from two days ago. And uh, England boss Gareth Southgate responds to the Manchester United links. Here we go. Now we're going to get into it. Is there any... Is there any sustenance? In fact, to tell you the truth, given the triangular relationship of the three stories that have publicised this, I really hope that there is something, something meaty, something real. England manager Gareth Southgate has reacted to rumours of interest from Premier League giants Manchester United. Following Mourinho's sacking last month, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been appointed caretaker. Uh, despite his fantastic start... Reports have still linked the club with the current England boss. Addressing the rumours directly, Southgate quickly put the United links to bed, suggesting that he still has ambitions to he is yet to achieve with the England squad. Southgate said, I'm the England manager and I'm, it's a privileged position to be in. We've had the best year for 28 years and we've got a semi-final this summer and a European championship in 2020 that's predominantly at Wembley, providing we take care of business to qualify. So it's a hugely exciting time. I don't think we've progressed as far as we can. There is room for us to grow. I think there is a lot of importance in life about enjoying what you're doing. I'm still a young coach. I've managed less than 200 matches. So for me, it's an honour to be in the role I'm in and I thoroughly enjoy it. There you go. So it seems like there was absolutely no sustenance to the story. Now, could there have been something fishy going on between the triangular umbrella company relationship between Oddschecker, their parent company Skybet and the sister company Sky Sports News? I don't think it's impossible to suggest that something could have happened there. But if it did, that is something that the regulators really should look into and seriously clamp down on because who is it taking advantage of at the end of the day? I mean, yes, in certain circumstances in life, it is fun for a few idiots to, uh, you know, lose their pocket change. But that, that's manipulative, and that is the difference. It's a little bit too cloak and daggers for me to be comfortable with. Now, what is coming up on the weekend? And I wanted to answer this question earlier for myself, and I forgot to. Is it the Rugby Union Six Nations this weekend? Oh, it's not. It's a week on this weekend. There you go. Tells me. Uh, a week on Friday, it's going to be France-Wales to kick us off. Scotland, Italy, Scotland are 1.07. I think that's shorter than that. Do, do Italy just get worse? I don't know. Ireland are actually the favourites for the championships. They're odds-on favourites for the championships this year. They're also quite decent for the World Cup as well. I, I had a look at this market the other day. The outright winner for the World Cup, obviously, is the All Blacks at 2.34. But Ireland are second favourites at 4-1. to one. England up at 9.4. So Ireland are odds-on for the Six Nations. Um... I don't remember the last time England were as long as 4.5 pre-tournament. And Wales are 6.8. So that's not coming up this weekend. It is, however, fourth round FA Cup weekend. Now, the third round of the FA Cup uh, happens to be my favourite weekend of the entire year. The fourth round isn't far behind it, though. Whilst there isn't quite as much uncertainty about how serious teams are taking it, I mean, if you're going to take it seriously, um, then... Uh, you 
the markets react to that in the third round and there's not so much difference in the fourth round. And if you're not going to take it seriously, the markets kind of know about it in the third round. But there still should be some movement and there's a lot of games. There's two on Friday night, tomorrow night, Arsenal-Manchester United play in Bristol-Bolton. Um, we got a set on Saturday, including Newcastle United versus Watford. How do Newcastle always get the Premiership team in the Cups. The evening game is um, AFC Wimbledon versus West Ham. Sunday's got Palace, Tottenham and Chelsea, Sheffield Wednesday. And Monday night, FA Cup game is Barnet versus Brentford. So all of that has the potential to provide a couple of different edges to us. Primarily, I'm going to be... Um, Focusing on the coupons, this is the Seventh Heaven coupon, the Pooshers coupon at Betfred, and following the smart money in. Hopefully, there will be some smart money. Um, and then, as a secondary, um, I'm going to be keeping a note of the tracker and just checking um, basically any late steams, anyone reacting to late money. And as I say, it doesn't necessarily have to be 100% rating on the tracker we've actually, we've actually changed the name from expected value to rating on the tracker because um expected value is no longer applicable i mean it wasn't accurate it's not expected value it's just a rating and so i'm more than happy to filter say all the sky bet um hundreds of thousands enhanced accumulators and if it looks like something is rising up the ranks then i'll take something that's maybe shaded red with a little yellow font or something like that Hope that there's going to be some more decency from the William Hill race on Saturday afternoon. Don't think I'm going to hit it quite as hard this Saturday. Duncan absolutely smashed it last Saturday. And also I had a review of um, the, uh, the starting prices in that. Because the thing about William Hill and these races, well, there was, a, we, there was definitely difficulty getting on last Saturday um, on this race because the machines locked up in shop. So normally you can go on, you can bet a machine, but they locked up. And then not only that, but they bet on it and they sort of locked up at SP as well. I mean, a lot of the time you can bet a lot more at SP than you can um, at the fixed odds at the particular time that you're getting. Uh, they even locked up on SP. But looking at this race, there were 10 horses... Now let's compare the early price at 10 a.m. to the SP. Now, two of them, two of the 10 horses, the, the early price was good. That was Ballymoy, who ended up winning it, who was 5.5 at 10 a.m. and 5 SP. And Boat, who was 19 at 10 a.m. and 15 SP. So they were better at 10 a.m. All other eight horses were much better just taking SP. So SP would have been the decision. You could have dutched it at SP. The danger with dutching at SP, of course, is that one of the horses steams in and then you're slightly, you're, you're unbalanced on that horse. You've got, you haven't got enough money on it because, of course, you were originally betting at 30 to 1. It comes in at 10 to 1. You're like, ah, and then it wins and then you're in trouble. But that's the dangerous game that you're playing. Seddon, who was the favourite, at 10 a.m. was 7 to 2, was cut to 11 to 4 for the half an hour or the hour before the race, and then went back up to 7 to 2 SP. So overall, 8 out of the 10 horses, you would have been better off at 10 o'clock in the morning going for SP. Can you handle the variance of a horse steaming in that you don't have a lot of money on, and then winning at much shorter odds at SP that you thought that you were going to get? If you can handle that variance, then perhaps SP is the way to go. We will see. Whatever it is that you're betting on. Do make sure it's value. This is Tom signing out. This is big. That's a cool fucking story I've ever heard in my entire life. That's insane. Is it, can I hear it again? Do you have time?